My name is Josh Scott. I'm the lead pastor here. If we haven't met, uh, we should have fixed that before the day's over. Uh, but we're really glad you're here, and I'm joined today by Grace Point's founding pastor, Stan Mitchell. Stan, everybody. So, today we're going to have a conversation about Grace Point, because I figured that maybe over the last several years, there may be some people who have found us, joined us, who don't know our story. Who better to tell the story than... Well, when, when I'm here like once every four or five weeks, pass out bulletins or whatever, and I try to catch all the new people and tell them who I am. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, before we jump in, though, there is some other stuff to talk about. And that is, it has been a really hard week in this country. Would you agree? Yes. That we now live in a country, we woke up in a country on Friday morning where reproductive rights are far more regulated than gun rights under the guise of being pro-life. And we just wanted to create a moment to say there's a lot of feeling about that. And some of you in this room are angry, and you're right to be angry. And some of you are scared, and you are right to feel scared. And also, there's a lot of work to do in front of us. Right? There are certain folks who want to take our country back um, to the 19-whatevers um, at a time when it wasn't good for... And this is... I'm, I'm going to get on a rant, so let's Go. stop that. But, I mean, just this idea. <laughs> like, is this what we mean by make America great again? Because it doesn't seem very great. And we're believing our own press clippings, and we're slipping further and further away from what it means to be a country that pursues justice. So all I can say is that as a community, we're going to stand up when we need to stand up, we're going to catch people when we need to catch people, and we're going to pursue justice in every possible way we can. And I know that's who you are as a community, and we're going to do that today. And part of what makes that so scary is, you know, it's, it's sort of like when they tell you what they're going to do before they do it. Um, if you read uh, Justice Thomas's concurrence, the next thing on the chopping block are LGBTQ rights, right? contraception rights. Uh, and pretty soon, some people are talking about, actually, they're, they're going after far more than that. And so this weekend, they released this on Friday, and Pride is this weekend. And the timing of that just royally sucked. But I heard somebody talking the other day about joy as resistance. That celebrating something that needs and should be celebrated in the middle of everything even feeling like it's falling apart is a form of resistance. It's saying, you can do a lot of things to us, but you cannot stop us from celebrating what needs to be celebrated. Yeah. So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to celebrate what needs to be celebrated. We're going to celebrate Grace Point's journey. We're going to celebrate pride. And I, I, let me begin with when you and I first met. Do you remember this? No. <laughs> meant way more to me, apparently. Um, so here, here's when we first met, Stan. So it's 2014. You... Yes, it was in 2014. <laughs> I... Grace Point was hosting Brian McLaren. We were hosting Brian McLaren, and, and this tall, handsome young man walked in, and oh, there was just a magnetic energy to him. And uh, <laughs> I felt it was... I'll pay you later. Okay. Um, 2014, I was pastoring a church in rural... Kentucky, and we were going through similar things that Grace Point is going through. I didn't know about Grace Point, and you definitely didn't know about us, 
and happened to notice we had Brian McLaren scheduled to come be with us in like the spring of 15. But I was also, I'm a Brian McLaren fanboy. I will follow Brian McLaren wherever he leads. And so he was going to be at Grace Point. And I was like, where's Grace Point? And I saw the address and I was like, so I sent an email. Can I bring some people down? And I remember after, after the end, Brian was just Brian. And you and I had our first conversation and, and you said something like, your website still seems really evangelical. That, that, yeah, and it did. <laughs> and so um, we started hanging out a little bit, and then in January of 15, it was going to be, it was the Sunday before MLK weekend, I sent you a text and said, I'm off next weekend, I'm coming down. And you said, hey, there's something you should know. Last weekend, I issued a statement of full inclusion of our LGBTQ plus siblings. Not sure what we're going to walk into next week. And the first time I was ever in this community in person doing a church experience, it was the week after inclusion. So how did, how did we get there? Just thinking about this weekend, I, it's, it's why Grace Point exists. I mean, underneath, I mean, there are several underpinnings of Grace Point, but Grace Point has been a place for the last almost 20 years that truly believes Things like what we've experienced this week with the overturning of Roe is the result of fear-based religion. It's the result of other things, but fear-based religion is at the base of that. We are a group of people. You are a group of people. We, we have a sense that fear-based religion, no, we don't have a sense. We deeply know that fear-based religion is something humanity has to evolve out of. It has to go the way of appendixes and wisdom teeth. We have got to evolve out of it. It just does. And we also know those of us who, for us, Christianity is our mother tongue religiously. We know that Christianity is one of the largest proponents of fear-based ideas about God and life. We are here because we believe Christianity can be better. We are here because we believe that Christianity has always had in it the seeds of its own reformation and evolution. We're not sure of that, but we're here because we believe in that. Our friends who've gone on and moved beyond Christianity, away from Christianity, we understand that too. Yep. I, every day of my life, as a part of Grace Point, as an extension of Grace Point, I, I just, I believe that Christianity either needs to move to the fullest, most beautiful expression of the gospel that I believe is resident in the gospel, or Christianity needs to die. Yep. And I, I know that I'm, we're doing, this church is doing reform work from the inside, or we're doing, we're doing palliative hospice care for something that we have loved. And either way, it's a noble pursuit. But I want to believe this isn't hospice palliative care. Weeks like this week, certainly set us back to, I'll, I'll throw this back to you. Grace Point really, for those that have been here, and there's, I, I see faces that have been here almost from the beginning, we've really had four distinct stages. The first stage, we were a small group of people that had read Tony Campolo and Brian McLaren, and we just had a sense that the arc of God's mercy was much wider than conservative Christianity was saying. And so, Instead of moving into a mainline tradition, uh, a few of us decided to do an evangelical iteration of liberal progressive theology. And it really started 
very centrally Christian, very devotedly Christian, liturgically Christian. We just had a sense, I mean, if, if you're going to name it, we just had a sense that eventually the entire creation would be redeemed. We had a sense that whatever hell was, it was at most a rehabilitation center, not a penal, not a penal colony where people would suffer forever. And so that's kind of where we started. And, and, and people came and, you know, a lot of Christians have that sense, uh, Christian universalism, some would call it. And then, then the second phase began within a few years. We really turned into a deconstruction zone for evangelicals. You couldn't pin us down. If you, if you came to the leadership and said, you know, how do you feel about substitutionary penal atonement? How does Grace Point feel about abortion? I would say from 2005 to 2008, I would say, I don't know, you'll have to ask them. We don't have a statement of faith. This is a deconstruction zone. We really, we, we, we kind of moved into this model where I had noticed in scripture, Mary was, some of you have heard me talk about this before, Mary, the sister of Martha and Lazarus, was in scripture three times. The first time was when Martha was cooking, came out hands on hips, said, Jesus, make her cook with me. Jesus said, well, she's learning at my feet, leave her alone. The third time was when Jesus was at the table with Lazarus, who had been raised from the dead. It's the Passion Week. Uh, Mary comes in, falls down at his feet, alabaster <laughs> box of ointment, pours it on his feet, moment of veneration. Judas, hands on hips, says she shouldn't do this. Jesus said, leave her alone. And, and we kind of built this model. You know, the church has plenty of space for Mary at the feet of Jesus to learn. We have plenty of space at the feet of Jesus for Mary to worship. We create entire buildings, architecture, and business around worship and education. But the middle time was when Lazarus had died and Mary had asked for Jesus to come save her brother. Jesus didn't come. And the Bible said when he finally got there, Lazarus had been dead. Mary goes out, falls down to his feet, and essentially says, where the hell were you? And who do you think you are? And how could you have done this to us? And the, uh, the wires and different ones were all there then. We just, we just, we kind of moved from being a Sunday morning centric place to just a bunch of book clubs where we were all reading Marcus Borg and Brian McLaren. Mm -hmm. And we literally just said, we're going to create a safe place at Grace Point for evangelicals, Catholics, Jehovah's Witness, Mormons, people from conservative iterations of Christianity to safely fall apart at the feet of Jesus. Ted, it was that old Merle Haggard song, looking for a place to fall apart. That was our theme song. So we did that, and we did that really well. And we had a great time for 10 years, and then the Marriage Amendment Act came out, and I knew pastorally, ethically, where I was. I had already moved to a very, I had deconstructed newly constructed and was a definitively liberal Christi Christian and was satisfied with Christianity in its liberal iteration. And I knew now that when Jody and Mary and others in our church came to me and said, how do we feel about um, same gender romantic love and marriage? I couldn't say, well, you have to ask them because now it was a pastoral ethical issue for me. It was an ethical issue of our church. So we couldn't just continue to take that place of where we're a deconstruction zone, you can't pin us down. Now, I wasn't going to be able to look at a couple and say, I can't do it. So there I was, founding pastor, and of course, founding pastors in non-denominational churches probably carry far more weight than they should in retrospect, but I had that weight, and I, I knew where I had to go. I couldn't imagine leaving Grace Point. At that time, we were moving in. We were still very evangelical in our style, not our, our website. I don't we, remember what the website yeah. looked like. Um, 
I'm sure but somebody's got it. I say we were very evangelical because we got 20 acres down in Franklin, and next thing we know, we had a $51,000 a month payment and a $1.8 million budget. And so as liberal as our theology was, our ethos was still kind of maturing and catching up. And so there we were stuck now. And we realized with the Marriage Amendment Act, I, I literally got out our master list. We had over 2,500 people on our master list at that time, people who called Grace Point home. I knew 2,300 of them. I divided them into categories A, B, and C. And the C group were people who were definitively liberal. So when the Marriage Amendment Act came out, there were seven, 800 people in our church that were like, well, yeah, sure we'll do, yeah, we, right? And then there were a third of our people, definitively a third of our people who were in that deconstruction zone. They were still trying to wrestle whether Jonah was literal and that was scaring them to death. And if you do that, is that gonna impact the resurrection? And so when we started talking about same gender marriage, then that group, I mean, deconstruction is a scary place. That was like really nail biting for them. And then there was a third of our church that were definitively conservative and, and they were some of my best friends and dearest people. And looking back in retrospect, I would do all of that different. That was a bit of an evangelical ethos because I was tricking them, giving them water to try to change them. And it's a presumptuous thing to, you know, so I, at that time, as I had to come out, there was a third of the church that were looking at me saying, and these were my best friends. I'd been best friends for years. They were like, you, you believe what? Because I had developed a style in that work where I could preach and the liberals would say, yeah, and the deconstructor would say, that sounds safe. And the conservatives would be like, sure. And then the Marriage Amendment Act came out and these people were like, well, Stan says, and they're like, what Stan are you talking about? <laughs> and I had to go to our elders and say, okay, I, we knew this was an experiment, but this is where the experiment goes foul. And you might guess that the 30% of our wonderful friends who were conservative evangelicals in there, they were giving about 70% of the money. You liberals just don't give the way conservatives buy. You don't. It's always been a problem. But that's a problem. So what am I going to do? I think it's 2012. Am I going to get up and just, you know, if I got up and just, told, said, okay, this is what the experiment's been. This is what you've been coming to. This is what you've been giving money to, raising your children in. Two-thirds of the congregation would have got it. A third of the congregation, who were very dear to us, would have and did feel betrayed. And to this day, that group feels very Robin Hooded by me, like somehow I used them. And, you know, it was a, it was a tough time. None of us, looking back, feel great about exactly how it all went. But I mean, we all got brutalized over, well, we don't disagree with what you did, it's how you did it. And when we got together, none of us could figure out how we should have done it. But anyway, yeah. so well, that's a, little, a bit of the story for the background. And I mean, the part of the problem is we were, you at Grace Point, me in Kentucky, we, and, and all of our friends around the country who were also doing it around the same time, we were really in free fall. We were unraveling on the job, like getting up and giving a sermon every week when you don't know if you actually believe anything. <laughs> like, I, I woke up today and I think I'm an atheist. Let's go to church and give a sermon about the Bible, which, which now doesn't seem so far off to me. But at that time, I was like, I don't know how to do this anymore. And so I think, and I, did, I had the same problem, which is I, I preached to people for 10 years. And I had, had it down so that the, the, 
liberals in the room, the progressives could hear what they wanted, the conservatives could hear what they wanted, but then I would accidentally say something pretty plain, and one group would be going, yes, and the other group was going, is that what you've meant for 10 years? Did you, you were saying that every week, and we thought you meant this, and you never told us you actually meant that, and so I feel terribly about that now, but at the time, we were in survival mode. Literally trying to figure out how do we make sure that you know, the people we need to feed get fed and that we don't just blow this church wide apart. And it, it wasn't easy to navigate. Looking back now, I see all sorts of problems that I would have, oh, I would have done that. I would have been more clear about that. I would have done. And so I have a commitment going forward to be way more clear. Right. But we were doing the best we could. Right. And so, so that then, so, so we, get, we took the church through that, that process and, and had so many great people through that process, but ended up having, of course, to sell our building. And, you know, we got through that process. By the time 2017 came around, I was fried. You were fried there. I was fried here. So, but the beautiful thing is when you came, Grace Point moved into really its fourth chapter, which is a definitively, clearly stated, progressive iteration of Christianity. So this fourth chapter, which I get you know to come to and be a part of now, is kind of a grandpa. I call myself like Queen of England, no power but a little bit of glory. <laughs> <laughs> but most, impor most importantly, no responsibility. So I really like it. Um, but th this iteration is now. I will forever. I suppose that's why I, I moved on because this, it was not my time to lead this and I had done everything I could do because all I do now is deconstruction work with guys and gals who are where we were. I, I do, I keep eight to 15 ministers very close who are in the process of towing the threshold for all of this, scared to death, middle-aged men and women who have kids in college and a mortgage and don't know what to do. And so I do that, but you guys know two-thirds of my time is spent just being a pastor at large to a diaspora of queer people and their families that can't, that don't have a grace point within 300 miles and live in small towns in Delaware and Nevada. So I'm still back working in that chapter two, chapter three deconstruction zone, which is exactly what I was equipped to. And that's, and this is my home, but it's really lovely now to come. This is different. I mean, this is a very different thing than that first couple of chapters. This is a definitive iteration of where we think Christianity needs to go writ large, right? Yep. Yeah, and when, so we had a staff retreat recently and our staff were gathered together. We were talking about what is the thing that we have the sense that is our thing to do in the world now? And in what we came up with is in whatever way we can, whatever sphere of influence we have, we feel like our responsibility is to help shift and transform the Christian tradition into what it could be. Because, and you and I were exchanging texts about this the other day. I could very easily see Christianity dying out and being done. And I agree with you. If that needs to happen for the world to be a better place, then we will do our best to lovingly. Yes. And when we say if Christianity dies, I mean, think about our central message. It's a paschal cycle of life and death and burial and resurrection. Yep. Death happened to Jesus and it wasn't the end. So if this thing that we have loved, and some of us have hated, and some of us have loved and hated, if it dies, I don't think that's the end of human spirituality. Right. I think it might be a positive step. Um, you know, our mouth won't be so full of wisdom teeth. We don't need them anyway. <laughs> we won't have appendicitis anymore. Roe versus Wade being overturned, that's an appendicitis. 
That's a part of humanity that just erupted that we're not even using anymore. And now it's poisoned things. So Yeah, and I, you know. That's a good analogy. I need to write that I, down. Somebody <laughs> write that down for him and slip it to him afterwards. And I really do think that we're at a sort of an apocalyptic moment. And when I say apocalyptic, I don't mean end of the world. We've talked about that. The end of the world's not settled. We get to choose whether it ends or not. But I think we're in an apocalyptic moment where things have been revealed. That's what apocalypse means. We're starting to see things for how they are. We're starting to see our country for what it is. Because lots of us, uh, well, m mainly the, the straight, white, cisgendered among us, right. thought when, you know, several years ago when Barack Obama became president that we had conquered racism, white supremacy. And then uh, the uh, Marriage Equality Act that we had conquered homophobia. And what has been revealed is actually that was a privileged position to take. And actually what's happened in this country is now white supremacy is sort of among some people, it's not even a thing they're embarrassed to say anymore. Right? right. Um, we, we see this with this Supreme Court ruling, the potential for attacks against LGBTQ equality. And it really does feel like we're rewinding the tape and we're going backwards to a time. Rewinding the tape, is that a great analogy? <laughs> Welcome to analog, baby. Um, but we're, we're going backwards. And for some people, backwards is great. Um, because moving forward is scary, especially when you're moving forward into a world you don't even know what it's going to be like. But I think that's the world. Like We're literally dealing with no map. We're, we're having to figure out what is, where are we going what is the Christian tradition going to look like in a hundred years? And my God, I hope it looks different than it looks right now. Right, sure. I, uh, to, to that end, I, I mean, I really have this sense. And I know, I know people on the other side of the fence have had this sense about us. It, it's just the divide is so far. It does feel like, I mean, you hate to say it, it feels like two groups of people. I mean, I, I have... I have almost everything in common with a progressive Jewish person. I have almost everything in common with a progressive Islam, Muslim person. And there is progressive Islam theology. It's not dominant, it's not pervasive, but it does exist. I have, I'm more and more realizing that the progressive elements of my spirituality may be the noun and the Christian element may be the adjective. A very important adjective. It's it's my. I mean, but people speak Spanish and people speak French. You know, is the language more important than the concept that's being communicated? Christianity is my mother tongue. Christianity is not only my mother tongue; it's also my lingua franca. It's if if I, you know, hit my thumb with a hammer, it's what I holler in. It's it's. I almost said it's what I. I'm not going to say that other part. Um, Christianity has a distinct set, of, it's, a, it's got a lexicon, it's got an alphabet, it's got a narrative. But, you know, I, I do feel like I'm just a million miles apart from a group of people. I'm, and I know these people, I work with these people continually. The scary thing is, this is who they sincerely believe God is. This is, and, and how can we not recognize that? So many of us were, is, were exactly where they are. 
I, I realize every week when I, I go back and, and spend time with my mom and dad now, because mom has dementia, and you guys know I go back and spend a couple days there a week. You know, if, it, this sounds so presumptuous, but if you have progressed to a seven and you're with people who are at a three, the reality is three is a part of seven. Three's not a contradiction to seven, it's a part. They don't think I'm a part of them, but they are a part of me. Mm. And when I go to the little Pentecostal churches where I come from, I don't sit there and hate and with my arms crossed and lick my wounds because I remember there's still stuff there that is a part of this narrative. I think the narrative is better than what we knew. But there is, this is a very difficult time. I, honestly, I feel like I live in a small town in Montana on the border of Saskatchewan and there's a town right on the other side of the border that connects to our town and we really live life together. And I feel like, I feel like I'm a million miles away from the person in the southern town of Mississippi in terms of culture. But I share a country with them. I, I share a country with them, but I share a life with this person who lives in Canada two miles away. And that's the way I feel about a lot of other religions that are more progressive, progressive iterations of them. Those progressive elements are the most important thing to me, and I believe Christianity has the capacity. Now, you and I both know with our friends who have moved on beyond, they, they're looking at us saying, you're trying to make a silk purse out of a sow's ear. You're trying to redeem something that's irredeemable. There's a bit of Stockholm syndrome, and you're trying to make peace with something that has abused you. And I hear that argument, and it might be true. I don't think so. I think there is something still deeply beautiful in the person of Jesus Christ. And I, I think if the early church is treated like the archetype, it's damnable. But if the early church is treated like the infant, then we grow from there. Yeah. If the Bible's treated like the word of God, you know... The, you got to be it, careful on that one. Uh, yeah, I, I know. <laughs> the internet goes... Woof. Yeah. The Bible is the spiritual travel diary of our religious ancestors through which the word of the Lord can come to us. But to treat it as a constitutional, propositional ideologue is devastating. So, you know, I'm just, I mean, the fact that we're still here, yeah. our detractors from within who say that we're yielding to the abuser, I get it, I, I get it, I get it, I get it. But I, through the deconstruction, you, you mentioned it a while ago, through deconstruction, they're always, to really do deconstruction in a, in a fear-based religious setting, you've got to take it all the way to the edge, and your toes have got to hang off. And I remember our conversation seven, eight years ago. It was, it was genuinely, we, we literally were looking beyond the boundary of Christianity and saying maybe, maybe right. we just are, maybe we are Unitarian Universalist. And that's a beautiful thing. But we made a decision that this religion that we're a part of still has something very beautiful about it and, 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 and maybe just maybe the growth and the evolution is going to outpace and, and maybe what we're seeing as we're evolving and growing, maybe what we're seeing is the last, hopefully the last gasp of a desperate part of our faith. That I know them, m many of them are driven by the fact they believe this is who God is and they are so concerned about us they, they, they believe sincerely that we are leading people to hell. Yeah. And they are in their own way victims of horrible ideas. 
And so for us to be able to stand here firm but lovingly and not be a place that every week gets together and licks our wounds and talk about how terrible all of that is but recognizes they're a part of us. They may not recognize us as a part of them, but we have the responsibility to recognize and to still send antibodies of grace and mercy in this message back. So Grace Point's a beacon. I I love what it's become, and um, I'm just thankful to be a part of it. I I hope those ramblings made sense, but I, I think that's where we are. Yeah, I agree. And I think, you know, as annoying as it probably is for people around me, uh, I can't help myself when it comes to when we're having conversations. I automatically think, oh, there's a story yeah. about Jesus that just fits that. <laughs> right? It's, it's, it's not just preacher brain. It's being like this is the story that has in so many ways defined my experience. I can't, I can't let it go. I've tried. I've wanted to. I, I, I've tried to let it go. I think it, it won't let go of me. Yeah. And if, if that's for, for those that have let go and it's let go of them, peace. I get it. I totally get it. I tell my brother, my brother walked away when I was heading into Pentecostal holiness ministry. My two-year-old brother, 18, walked quietly away. I went loudly into ministry. He went quietly away into a reverent, peaceful agnosticism. You can imagine who got the most attention in the blue ribbons in our family. It was me. And he's moved on and lived the most peaceful, generous, kind life. And a couple of years ago, he and I were going to a Titans game. The Steelers were in town, and we're Steelers fans. And, and uh, so was everybody else at Titan Stadium that day. <laughs> Can we stop right now and pray for Stan, yeah. everybody? Just, he needs to be delivered. My brother looked at me, and he said, just out of the blue, my brother hasn't been to church 30 years, he said, and he is so understated. My brother looked at me and he said, enjoyed your talk last week. I said, what? He said, hey, your, your sermon. He said, Tiff and I watch your uh, sermon song. We hadn't talked, we, we quit talking about God and existential things years before. I said, you do? He said, yeah. He said, I, I, I like the way you talk about all of that now. And I said, huh, he, he said, you don't worry about me anymore, do you? And I said, ah, of course not. And I, I told him, I said, you know, we believe the Christian message is not that you can get saved, but that everybody's safe and always mm-hmm. has been. And if there is such a thing as a gospel, it's just letting people know they've always been united with God. It could never be anything other than united with God. You're not becoming the son or daughter of God any more than Jesus did at the River Jordan. It's just declared and celebrated. The prodigal doesn't come home to be something he's not. He comes home to finally settle into what he's always been. That's the gospel. That's what we believe. And so I I said that to my brother. And you can tell I'm not Pentecostal anymore. I can't allow for a clap. It's like, (laughs) stop clapping. You're interrupting my thought. (laughs) But... I looked at my brother and it hit me and this is something I really deeply believe. I looked at him and I said, you know, honestly, Stevie, I, I think your departure from Christianity was at least as much and maybe more a defense of who Jesus and God is than my remaining in all these years of ministry. I think if Jesus is the guy, in the end, he'll shake your hand and say, thank you for taking up for me. 
because so many people's departure from Christianity is just that. It's a defense. It's they, they haven't fathomed that there could be this iteration, and the iteration they've known is simply a rejection of a horrible facsimile that is devastatingly. So my brother has lived a life that looks probably more like Jesus than, than mine. You know, I, I've had all kinds of brokenness, and on the other side of two divorces, he's still there loving the same woman, taking in stray dogs, and just living a peaceful life that looks like Jesus. So... I think a lot of people's departure has been that, but I think we also can create something that is a true elevator of the life of Jesus. And I, I do think, man, I, I think the Bible, when read properly, is a gorgeous yeah. book. I really do. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I realize that there may be, you may be here for the first time today. You may be joining us online for the first time. You may have met us in Pride, Pride yesterday. Um, and so just to say this, there are some of you who are engaging right now who you were told and taught that you had to choose between being who you are, who you were made to be, and being a part of a church. You, there are some of you here who are being told that you have to choose between your authentic self and community. There are some of you who have been told that your doubts and your questions and your curiosities and the things you just can't believe anymore, that you've had to choose between all of that and having a church community to be grounded in. And I want you to know that's not true. And some of you have left the church and you were 1,000% right to leave because it wasn't worthy of you. Because any institution that diminishes your humanity it's not worth your time. And I want you to know that there are people and places who see you, who love you, who are not afraid of you, but instead who celebrate you and make space for you to flourish and be everything God designed you, created you, dreamed you up to being. And I hope and pray that Grace Point is always that kind of place. One more thing before we go. All right. Let's, let's not talk to anybody in the room. And let's, not, let's pretend we're not talking to our community online. Let's, let's. Somebody help me. <laughs> oh, there you go. Let's pretend we are talking to people who are watching this who are where we were several years ago. They're struggling with taking their communities forward into justice, taking their communities forward into saying, we're, we're going to publicly cast our lot with the LGBTQ plus community. We're going to publicly stand against racism and white supremacy. We're, we're, going to, we're going to decide to be on the right side of history. And they are scared to death, and they're looking at their, their checkbook, and they're trying to decide what to do. What, what do you say to them? Well, right I mean, I, I say this every day to ministers, leaders, elders in churches. At what other moment in a Western world have those of us who call ourselves devoted followers of Jesus parenthetical. I understand the implications of this vocationally, the defrocking, the loss of ordination, retirement. I understand loss of income. I understand all of that. I understand that your kids shouldn't have to bear the brunt of your calling. I understand all of that. But Skip, what other time in our lives in a Western world 
have those of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus Christ, when, when have we ever had a chance to take up anything that approximates a cross? Something that might actually cost us for the sake of integrity on behalf of other people. There, I, I look at ministers every day and say, I know this as one that it took way too long for me to get there because I was chicken. I was scared and I was selfish. I'll tell you this, what's lost is nothing compared to what's found. Yeah. And all the death that ever were, if it were pulled together, could scarcely fill a cup set next to the river of life that will run in you when you are able to finally find the courage and to fill up in your own body and your own calling the sufferings of Jesus, which were incomplete. The sufferings that we see in 12 and 14-year-old suicidal queer kids who are devastated and don't want to live anymore simply because of the way they love. You need to find one-tenth, just a modicum of the courage those children have mustered to walk into the church that you've been pastoring through the first 30 years. And it'll be the first chance you've ever had in your life to take up a cross and truly follow Jesus. Yeah. That's the gospel. Amen. Amen. Stand